Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back A little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Jean, and I'm very happy to be hosting tonight along with Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Jean. How are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, we record this on Sunday night, so we're either exhausted by Sunday night when we record it or rested. <laughs> Which are you tonight? <laughs> Tonight I am rested, and many nights I am exhausted, but this Sunday oh, I good. am rested, so it's good. Oh, good. Well, we'll be extra demanding on you tonight. And we also <laughs> oh, <great>. have co-hosts. <laughs> Our other co-host, the fabulous Catherine, is on the line. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Jean. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Nice to chat with you, my dear. How are you? You as well. Well, I, I'm on the exhausted scale. I've been... Uh, kind of swamped with work and it's getting pretty stressful and I uh I, I will share that I had a pretty ominous drinking dream three nights ago where involving uh. a bottle of champagne and uh many squirrely efforts to try to figure out how was I gonna keep that from everybody. So I was happy that it was just a dream but I better tell on myself here. Um it was just a dream though, so stress is maybe a little high right now. <laughs> okay, yeah, so we're going to do indicator. the Etch-a-Sketch head shake. Catherine, are you ready? Give a head shake ready. like Etch-a-Sketch, erase the brain. Ready? One, two, three. Shake, 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 shake. There. <laughs> it works. Better? There we go. Yep. <laughs> well, we have a really juicy topic tonight. We are talking about sober firsts, and we're joined by two very special guests. They're both bloggers. So we have on the line Kristen, who blogs about her recovery journey at tellingthewords.wordpress.com. Hi, Kristen. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hello. Glad you're here. And also joining us tonight is Megan, uh, who's also a young mom in recovery. And Megan's blog, all about life and about all things happy and good, is crazybananas.com. Hi, Megan. Hi, ladies. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're so glad to have both of you here. And I know I, I sent you a list of things to think about, so we're going to get to that in a, mi- a minute. But first, what I'd like to do is to give uh, you both a, a bit of time to uh, let our listeners get to know you a little bit. Um, Kristen, we'll start with you. Would you tell us a little bit about uh, your life and your recovery journey? Sure. Um, 
I am a mom. I have a set of twins who are two and a half years old and a four and a half year old. So I'm pretty busy being a mom, but I'm also a teacher by training. Um, and I I started drinking pretty young in high school. And at first it was just sort of like a weekend kind of thing, and it didn't really intrude on my life or affect you know, my academics or anything that much. And then, um, but I realized really quickly that um, it was different for me, a switch just sort of flipped on in my head. And I kind of realized that I was, you know, affected by it differently than other people. So I continued on. I was pretty successful. I went to college. I did all the grown-up things and all along, you know, continued drinking um, and kind of realized along the way, you know, increasingly that, wait a minute, you know, this is affecting me differently. You know, I drink more than other people seem to drink, but I can handle it. You know, I, I can, I'm one of those people where I can just handle my alcohol. And I could drink an awful lot without anybody else seeming to think that anything was amiss or even seeming to notice. In fact, people would tell me, you know, I have Christian drive. She's the sober one. And, you know, it wouldn't be true mm-hmm. at all, but somehow they would think that and, then things really changed for me pretty abruptly once I had children. Um, I just I realized that I was drinking um, way too much and that I wasn't handling my life very well. I mean, nothing terrible happened, um, nothing, you know, no DUIs, nothing like that. But, you know, I just realized that my life was pretty much spiraling out of control and that I was suffering pretty bad hangovers and, you know, just not really handling things well. So I, you know, it went on a long time like that. And then um, just this past winter, I decided after a whole bunch of day ones, many, 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 many day ones. But um, in, in January, I decided, you know, this, is, this has got to stop. And so I stopped. And I've been very, very happy and very grateful ever since. And I've, you know, it's just such, it's still such a relief to me. I feel very relieved every day that I wake up that I'm off that train I'm off that cycle, and so for me, it's been relatively easy, but it's only been easy since I changed my way of thinking. Before that, it was hard, and before that, there were all the never again and regret and terrible feelings, but um, something something magical happened in my brain where I connected things, and it makes sense, and I'm doing pretty well right now with blogging, not as, not as consistently as I should. But, um, you know, sharing my story with a few select friends and um, just feeling so much more free, so much more of a better mom, um, so much more present in my life. And it's just something that I'm really grateful for and grateful from, for all the inspiration from the other bloggers that I've encountered and realized that I'm not alone at all. So that's, that's pretty much where I am right now. Awesome. Thank you. And congratulations on six months. What's the official anniversary oh, yeah, of right. six months? Yeah, did you, be, did you guess, celebrate? No, I haven't yet. I think it's is it six months on, well, I guess it would be July, so coming up soon, July 2nd. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not very good at counting and keeping track, but, you know, counting on my fingers, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's not right. It's just I'm not a huge counter, so um, I haven't well, really listen, thought I, about doing I anything Well, listen, I count those. <laughs> 
those are worth celebrating, those landmarks. And since you haven't been yeah. spending money on booze, it's a chance to spend that money on a treat for yourself. So I think you definitely yeah, absolutely. <laughs> should yeah. be celebrating. Yeah. Awesome. I definitely Awesome. Know. Megan, tell us your story. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, again, I'm so happy to be here. I'm Megan, um, and I'm in the middle of a huge thunderstorm right now that just started, so if you hear big booms or anything, hopefully I won't get disconnected, but um, a little bit about me, I guess. I am a photographer and a writer and a blogger, and then I also I have a full-time job at the head of marketing for um, an IT company, a part-time job, actually. And then I have two young kids. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old little boy, and then I have an eight-year-old little girl. Um, and I'm married. I live in Kansas, um, where giant thunderstorms happen in the middle of the night. Um, and mm-hmm. I guess a little bit about my past with alcohol. Um, I'm very similar to Kristen. Um, I had my first drink actually at 15, and I remember it very vividly um, because I was a pretty good girl, and I went on a date with an older boy, and he brought cherry vodka to the date and we were in the movie theater and poured it in our slushies at the movie theater and I remember thinking like what is the big deal everybody made such a big deal about drinking and I feel fine and then at the end of the movie I stood up and promptly fell over I couldn't even stand because I had been sitting the whole time drinking this had no idea that I was completely bombed so that was my first drinking experience and it was not super fun um and you know throughout high school and college as well I was like I said, a pretty good girl, definitely a huge perfectionist and, um, you know, was captain of the basketball team and was in debate and was in student council and had straight A's and went to college on a scholarship and just was kind of crazy. <laughs> and I had no release for any of that. I didn't know how to deal with anything other than perfection and that built up so much stress and anxiety inside me. Um, and so pretty quickly after that first drink, I realized alcohol helped me release some of that stress. Um, and it started out, you know, just on the weekends, no big deal. Um, I guess one of my many firsts, since we're talking about firsts here, um, in college I was confronted for the first time by friends about my drinking, um, about it being out of control, but I very much was like, you know what, I'm on full scholarship, I get all of my grades in. I do all this extracurricular stuff. I volunteer. Like, I'm not an alcoholic. Um, alcoholics don't do all that other stuff, too, um, which, of course, now I know is very untrue. But um, <laughs> I definitely pursued it all away and just said, you know, as long as I can keep being successful, it's not a problem. Um, after college, I um, moved in with my then boyfriend, and the year after we graduated from college, we got unexpectedly pregnant. And um, that was a huge huge thing in my life, a huge milestone for me. Um, I quit drinking for that pregnancy, and for both of my pregnancies, I didn't drink at all, but um, that was the beginning of me feeling very isolated from my peers and my friends, because all of my friends, many were still in college. I actually graduated um, in three years, so many of my friends were still just just graduating or still in college, and I was here with this baby, Um, And I felt like it wasn't fair. They were all getting to go out and have fun and have no responsibilities. And I had this crazy new place as a wife and a mom. And so I started isolating with my drinking, drinking at home alone, um, putting down a bottle of wine at night um, to relieve the stress of being a really busy working mom and being young and feeling left out. Um, And that escalated for a few years um, until I got pregnant with my son. And the year before I got pregnant with my son was really hard because – um, 
ironically, after getting unexpectedly pregnant with my daughter, we couldn't get pregnant again. And so that's very stressful. It was a very stressful time for us. And um, I definitely leaned on alcohol a lot during that stressful time because I didn't know how to deal with it. But then I got pregnant. And I remember when I got pregnant thinking, oh, thank God, now I can't drink. Um, Because I knew at that point it was a problem. Um, And so I didn't drink that whole pregnancy. But after he was born, um, I definitely went back to it much quicker than I had when I had my daughter um, four years previous. Obviously, it's a very progressive disease. And that year um, was the beginning of the trying to quit. I would go 30 days. I would go whatever. I wasn't really counting it as quitting, just trying to take breaks. Um, And, you know, every time I went, came back bigger and badder. And um, then in 2012 um, was the best and worst year of my life. Um, In terms of drinking, it was definitely the worst. Um, Definitely escalated. And it's amazing how quickly this disease can escalate and how it can, you know, you get so skilled at hiding it. No one knew I had a problem. I was still, you know, working my butt off. I had these um, little kids and I was, you know, super mom, super employee. Um, there, no one around me even knew I had a problem. Um, and so that makes it really hard to get sober when no one around you knows because it's hard to find support. So, um, in, gosh, January of 2013, I reached out for the first time, found an online community for support, and then actually listened to my first Bubble Hour um, episodes. I remember I downloaded a bunch to my phone and then went to a conference, and that was my first real attempt at, okay, I'm going to get sober. And I remember I was listening to them on the airplane, and I listened to them at the conference, and I went six days, and I was really proud of myself. Um, and then for the <laughs> next four months, it was a lot of, you know, six days, three days, that kind of stuff, and then... By the grace of God, um, in April of 2013, April 16th, um, it just finally all clicked for me. It was a big uh, I give up moment, but I really, its it was a surrender, but also a fight at the same time. And I just said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this cycle anymore. I was so involved with the guilt and the shame, especially with no one knowing what was going on. I felt like a liar. I felt very dishonest because I was hiding this horrible thing that was happening in my life and every negative thing that I felt or saw, I was drinking away and it was just a really horrible way to live. And, um, that surrender was so freeing for me as well. Um, I feel a newfound freedom that I didn't even know existed before sobriety. And so I've been sober now, gosh, this year in April. So a year and some change. And, um, it's been, a really hard year. Um, I've learned a lot, but it's also been the best year of my life. I'm just so um, happy and free, even when things outside of me aren't perfect. Um, inside, I'm good, which is that's never been my <laughs> existence or my life. So that's kind of an amazing feeling. And and I did it definitely by um, leaning on my online community, leaning on any kind of sober community. Um, attend 12-step meetings and and that community as well and just kind of just reaching out when I need help, um, which was a huge thing for me as a person who never needed any help because I was perfect and could do everything on my own, learning how to reach out, and I'm still learning every day. I reached out just last week for something that was so silly, and I just needed to reach out for it. And after it was over and it was fine, I was like, gosh, I'm such a dope. I should have done that months ago. Um, so it takes time, mm-hmm. but I'm learning and... Um, it's all about progress and not perfection for me, and I'm 
really happy to be here and be able to share with all you guys. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Megan. Now, one thing you both said, what the, what I got from both of you, is that you're both very high-functioning alcoholics, and not too many people really knew you had a problem. So, I mean, we hear that a lot on the bubble hour. I think, you know, I can certainly raise my hand and say, yep, this is Jean. I, had, I was exactly the same. Does that surprise you now that you're in recovery and you talk to other people in recovery and realize that, that that's really quite common. Does that surprise you, Kristen? Um, yes and no. I mean, on a real life, practical, like living my life from day to day, yes, it surprised me to read and hear the stories of so many people who, you know, had great jobs and are not the bum on the street with a brown paper bag. Um, you know, definitely in my just day-to-day life, really surprising. Um, in my family history, though, I mean, not so much. And I didn't really think about it that much at the time when I was actively drinking. But my grandfather and my two uncles on my dad's side are alcoholics who have quit drinking and have, have you know, have had long-term sobriety. And I remember sitting in my grandfather's house on the East Coast. It was a vacation to go out and visit with him. And he's he's always been very open about his, you know, association with, you know, 12-step groups and um, with his experience as, a, as an alcoholic and he mentioned that um, he was that person that I described myself as being where he could drink all day long. His second marriage was to like kind of a California socialite in the 60s and they would hang out by the pool and just drink all day long and he said <laughs> that Sounds he, like a Mad Men episode. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And his, you know, his second wife died of a combination of, you know, alcoholism and dependence on pills and, you know, all the liver damage from that. And so, I mean, you know, definitely, like, heavy-duty stuff. And he said the same thing that I described, you know, myself as, you know, just um, he could drink all day long and nobody would ever know. And he described that as being, like, kind of lonely. It's like, you know, here I am knowing that I have a problem, but nobody else, you know, Nobody else thinks that I have a problem, and I have to, like, kind of work to convince other people, yeah, I definitely have a problem. So I think I had that story kind of filed away, and, you know, I was able to kind of pull it out of the file after the fast, and I had quit drinking, and, you know, that that makes sense, you know. I mean, he was a brilliant, he still is, he's a brilliant man, you know, he's a chemist for many years, um, you know, very successful, went to MIT on the GI Bill, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, he was always a very, you know, positive role model for me. And, you know, the the fact that he had this story and that he was open with it and shared, you know, definitely helped me once I was in the right frame of mind to think about it and reflect on it. So, um, you know, not not super surprising, you know, like I said, in, in my family history, but reality is I lived it was much different because I didn't see a whole lot of other people that seemed to have, you know, major problems with alcohol or, you know, that I could relate to anyway. So a little bit of both. Well, this is Jean, and I think it's interesting because there's a lot, like the patterns are are very similar. The, the more time we spend in recovery talking to other people, the more we see the pat- that there's a lot of similarity between patterns. And so I'm curious as we talk tonight about some of our first 
our experiences with first times of different things in recovery, I'm really curious to see if there's a similarity in how we've responded to different things. So let's jump into our topic and, and see what correlations are here. So sober first. Well, here's what we have to say about sober first. Uh, obviously, early recovery is full of sober firsts. They seem to come fast and furious in the initial weeks and months, and they can be overwhelming at times. Eventually, the firsts are fewer and further between, but their infrequency can make them feel more jarring. So for our discussion tonight, we're going to break out those sober firsts into three major types. So first of all, we're going to talk about mixing with the normies. So when we quit drinking and then we go back into those old situations and places where drinking is part of the scenery and we have to find a way to fit back in as a person in recovery. We're going to talk about the first experiences that we have in the recovery community, engaging in the recovery community as a person in recovery, and then things that we go through on our own, so just more internal experiences. So let's talk about mixing with the normies, and normies, of course, is the affectionate term we use for people that are actually able to drink normally, Uh, and uh, I guess we could also include with that people that are uh, drinking perhaps not normally, but drinking nevertheless, although we're not part of them right now. So the first, uh, the first family um, gathering is usually one of the, the first things that it's our first re-entry <laughs> back into social gatherings. And um, I'm going to just pick on you guys randomly and see if anyone has a story for me. But Catherine, do you have anything to relate about your first family gathering? Do any details of that come to mind for you? Yeah, well, it's it's funny because I'm trying to think back to an exact first. Um, so I got I got sober on April 5th, and it was right before Easter Sunday. And I actually skipped that family gathering. If I had only I only had a few days sober, and I and that really felt like an act of um, you know resistance in some way I mean, it's, it's uh, sort of being a bad girl because I was um, skipping a family event so I mention it however because I think it's just important to note that with so many of these things we have choices over our interaction with them and so that that first one I skipped but then I, I don't know if I can remember even though it was only two years ago it was sort of a blur um, I will say that come summertime, um, we spend a lot of time with my parents um, at this beach house. And it, not that my parents, they, they don't really drink that much, but it was always this opportunity to pour the wine and be by the grill and, you know, chop the vegetables. And that was this very kind of wine-centric time for me. Um not to mention that I think I'm probably not alone when I say that I may have small mother issues um, or just, you know, sort of families can be triggery, right? We Even just the best relationships, they can be triggery. We're so close to them. So my thought on that is, and this kind of r- runs through all of my sober first, which is um, 
I decided early on that it was only going to be a big deal or a problem or quote unquote hard if I made it that way in my head. Um, so by the time I got to hanging around with my family that summer, I really had made that decision that I wasn't going to make it hard. Now, having said that, um, I spent a lot of time by myself just sort of getting myself out of the mix of people. Um, I made a mistake in that I spent a lot of time in my room and I probably, and I always felt better when I went outside. So while I think getting the space was probably a smart thing to do, um, I, I think outside would have been better and I wish that I had had at that time, more of an in-person recovery community. I didn't have um, 12-step meetings at that time, and that was a mistake that I, I wish I, I wish I hadn't gritted my teeth so much through it. Um, but, well, that's all I have. Catherine, how come you think being outside would have been better for you? Tell me about that. I just know that when I those times when I was really feeling very high anxiety that when I got myself to go outside and take a walk, there was just something literally expansive about it and the anxiety went down. And I don't know if it was like being in nature, if it was because I was moving um, and not just sort of lying there in bed um, trying to feel trapped or what that was. But some, something about that combination of, you know, taking a walk in the great outdoors really, really helped me. Um, and I think the that's, point that's is... That's a great is, suggestion. Yeah, I mean, I think the point is is just not really trying to push myself to replicate. I did this in the very, very beginning, the first month or so, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it where I just thought, well, I can be a tough guy and replicate my old life, but just with this new sober me. And that wasn't terribly reasonable for myself or for anybody else. Um, so by the time that summer came along, you know, now I was a couple months in, I realized I didn't really have to hang out with my family if I didn't want to. I didn't have to sit around the, you know, fire pit and have everything be great because it wasn't necessarily so so if you could but now if you could give I'm yourself advice to... this is Jean. if you could give yourself advice backwards to that situation Catherine it sounds like you would give yourself permission to not feel bad about not going to things you don't want to go to yeah um, definitely not feel bad not put pressure on myself to have it be a certain way um, mm-hmm. But also not put pressure on the other people to be different than they are. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you know what? Like, I actually, I have a great time with my family now because they they are who they are, and they're doing the best they can, just like I am. So I find them a lot less triggery than I than I used to. Um, I'm hiding a lot less, obviously. So that's probably a big part of it. Um, and I also That's a have, good time. yeah, and I ha- I actually have a much um, more robust in life in real life recovery community. So mm-hmm. you know, going to recovery meetings, um, reaching out to other people, other sober people, 
Um, you know, so when I'm around my family. But I just don't really feel people are like, oh, well, I have to go because, you know, my mother always cooks the turkey on Christmas Eve and, like, I have to be there. Like, you don't. I've, I've said this before on the program, and I, I don't want to be flip about it, but, like, we we don't. We don't have to do anything. Um, and if other people get their noses out of joint, as families can famously do, that's kind of their business. It's not ours. I mean, I, I take that view pretty strongly because my sobriety comes first. And if I don't have that, then my family and everything else, you know, is in peril. So I'd rather say I'm not going to Easter dinner, you know, or I'm not going to a birthday party or I'm not whatever if it's not going to be this safe for man. me. This is Amanda, and I have to second that. And highly, you know, high, just it's so important. You don't have to go to anything. Mm-hmm. I, I hear that. You know, when you hear someone say, oh, I'm two weeks sober and I have to go to a wedding this weekend. Yeah, no, you don't. It's like, right. no, you don't. No. You know, and even that, even though that's a one-time event, I mean, it's just, especially you get the things that are like, you know, Christmas or Thanksgiving, which I skipped my first Thanksgiving, like Catherine skipped her first holiday. Um you don't have to go, and my, you know, my family wasn't thrilled that I wasn't there. But you know what? They got over it, and they, in the long run, they're happy that I, you know, stayed sober because I, I didn't put myself at risk. So, you know, weddings. I know it feels like a little bit more pressure because hopefully some that person's only getting married one time. But you can also just go <laughs> to church and not go to the reception. <laughs> you know, that is true. Uh, you That's know, very true. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything because uh, you know that you know we say it again and again. If you don't take care of yourself first, you're not going to be good for anything else, including explaining yourself. Because family is great for getting up in your business, right? Like, mm-hmm. and there's sort of this. It's, I mean, different families are different, right? But there's there's kind of a coded expectation that you know you're going to be open when people start asking you questions and like. Just because it's your mom or your brother or whatever, like you don't have to explain yourself. Yeah, that's that's my other. This is Jean. I I think thought. the the core of that, the reason that that's helpful, is because denying ourselves, um, not being true to ourselves, not taking good care of ourselves in the first place, is how we got so burdened. Yeah. for a lot of us, yeah. right? So um, that's why it's so critical that you really listen to your gut and you really give yourself permission to do what you need to do. But yeah, because not doing it. it is actually dishonest. So I just want to say that, it's like for me, yeah. I feel like I'm being dishonest, and and dishonesty was the just a, at the foundation of my drinking, and so right. I can't be dishonest anymore. So sorry, go ahead, bring in Megan. Yeah. Yeah, Megan. Megan, uh, do you have any memories of your first family gathering in recovery? I do, yes. Um, So I got sober around the same time as Catherine, except a year later, but in the spring, it was April. And for whatever reason, Easter fell early that year, so I I missed it um, in sobriety. But um, So my first big family holiday was the 4th of July. Um, So I didn't have 90 days yet, but I was close. Um, and I was just talking about this the other day, how when I look back on what I did last summer, 
all the things I did with my family and all the things that I went to and did, I'm amazed that I got through all that sober. I'm amazed when I see people now saying, yeah, like I have to go to this. I have to I'm like, please don't. I wish I wouldn't have. Not that anything happened. I didn't drink. But I could have saved myself so much stress um, because one of the many faults that I had that um, I dealt with by drinking was people-pleasing. Um, and that really fed into when I got sober because nobody really knew I had, quote, a problem. Um, I didn't want to put anybody out with my sobriety. I didn't want anyone to feel weird around me. I wanted everything to be cool, and I was just going to take care of myself. It's no big deal. And the thing was, it was a big deal. And it was really, really hard. You know, I went through early withdrawal um, alone. I waited to get sober until my husband was going out of town for a week because I didn't want him to see me going through any issues because I didn't want to bother him. And the same with my family, you know. And so when I got there, I remember it was the 4th of July, and and I'm very, very close to my in-laws. They're like my family. And um, it was at my in-laws' house, and my husband has um, three siblings, and they're married, and then kids, and we're all staying at this big farmhouse where his mom and stepdad live, and and it's a drink fest. I mean, you walk in the door, and there's a huge refrigerator in the garage packed to the brim with beer, and for, you know, the family, which I used to totally take advantage of this when I was a drinker, you know, being at the farm was, especially with little kids, your grandparents have our kids. We're going to drink for three days straight. And probably no one drank like I did, but it definitely gave me a pass to drink the way I wanted to. Um, and I didn't have any responsibilities, which was something that I had a lot of resentment about, about having all these responsibilities and having to be good and in charge all the time. Um, so I was terrified <laughs> to go to the farm because I knew – um, that everyone would be drinking, and I hadn't really told. I talked to my husband a very little bit about my sobriety. Um, just had told him I quit drinking, but didn't really get into the whole why or what was happening with me or what had happened. I mean, he was just kind of like, "Okay, you seem fine." Um, and and looking back on that, I wish I had been more upfront and honest from the beginning. But again, it was I didn't want to bother anybody. I didn't want anybody else to feel weird, um, which is just silly. Um, but I went to the 4th of July and, um, and it was pretty hard. It was really hard. I had to reach out, um, to my recovery community, both via text online, on the phone. Um, and I just tried my best, you know, my big, um, escape, which is kind of backwards, but at least with family was the children. Um, I had at the time my son was two and he had just started like climbing out of his crib at night, which was so obnoxious when you're just getting sober and you need sleep so bad and the kid keeps waking you up every 10 minutes. But when we went to the farm, it was great because he wouldn't lay down for naps. He, like, refused unless I would lay down with him because he would just come out of his room because he was climbing out of the crib and it was a weird, you know, it's an old farmhouse. I didn't want him falling down. So I would just go lay with him and I'd fall asleep. It was, like, forced napping, forced recovery napping. And um, and then same thing at bedtime. You know, he went to bed at seven thirty, eight o'clock, and I would be like, "Well, I gotta go lay down with him. You know, he's gonna get up and fall downstairs." And by the time I would crawl out of there, everybody else would be two sheets to the wind or asleep or whatever they were doing. You know, a lot of times they weren't drinking like I used to, and they'd just be hanging out watching a movie or something. But I had escaped the whole awkwardness of, "Do you want to drink? Why aren't you drinking?" Blah blah blah. Um, because I hadn't really, I had told my mother-in-law and my husband knew that I wasn't drinking. 
Um, not to the extent of why, but they just knew it wasn't. So I was definitely offered drinks every two minutes when I was there, which was hard. But I think the biggest thing for me was being able to have people that got it. Um, When you guys were talking earlier about, like, high-functioning people in recovery, I was thinking, you know, for me, I surrounded myself with people that made me feel normal about my drinking because I already felt bad about it. So having people around me that drank the way I did, I could go, okay, I'm cool, I'm normal. So then when I got sober, of course, these people are still the same, and here I am, you know. And and also I think it's triggery for them because they're seeing me not drink, and they're like, what's going on? Why isn't she drinking? And then if you get into the whole recovery conversation, it becomes, well, if you have a problem, do I have a problem? And I was just so terrified of that conflict and having to be a part of that that I just kind of hit out. Um, I also started running. I remember that July I started a thing on my blog and on social media where I ran a mile every day. And so that was a big escape. I'd just get out and run a mile on these old dirt roads in the middle of Kansas, um, just like Catherine's like getting outside. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, if the kids needed something, oh, the kids need to go for a gator ride out into the field in the pasture, I'll take them, I'll take them, you know, just any excuse to get away. And that actually has served me well through the rest of my holidays, New Year's Eve. You know, everybody's like, oh, I gotta, I'll go do the kids' New Year's Eve at 10 o'clock, and then I'll go to, you know, get them all to bed for you guys, you know. And it really kind of takes the pressure off. Um, but like I said, you know, today, like this 4th of July that's coming up, I have no qualms about being like, yeah, I don't drink, and I'm going to go do something else. I mean, I remember by Thanksgiving of last year, I um, they were all drinking going out to a bar, and I made alternate plans. <laughs> I plans to go to a movie with a friend from our hometown. And they were like, what, you're not coming? And I was just like, no, yeah, I'm not. And, you know, the sky didn't fall. It was fine. And my family still loves me. So, um, yeah, I think early in sobriety, you're just so raw. And, you know, for me, I I drank to escape all these emotions. And so they're all coming up. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you have to handle it all because you did. You felt like you were handling it all before, even though you weren't. Um And it takes a while to get to that place where you can just sit in it and go, yeah, this is really uncomfortable. I can leave. Or this is really uncomfortable. I'm not going to go. But it is really funny when I look back and go, God, why did I go to that? Why did I do that? But, you know, the past is past, and hopefully, you know, by sharing, you can help other people not do that if they don't have to. Or realize if they have to do it, they can get through it. Just make sure you have the tools with you. This is Jean, and one thing I, I think is that I I'd certainly, before I went to any events, I had a lot of anxiety about people are going to notice I'm not drinking, people are going to say something, what am I going to say, what are they going to say, what are they going to do, what am I going to do if they try to give me a drink. I mean, this is what us anxiety girls do. We imagine things that have yet to happen. But the fact is that what we're assuming is that the rest of the world is as obsessed with alcohol right. as we are in our addiction. And normal people uh, aren't really really don't care. They really don't. The people that are also functioning as alcoholics might care because, as you said, they care about how it reflects on them. It makes them uncomfortable because they want you to drink the way they drink so that they can excuse their drinking. But for the most part, most people don't care what anyone else is drinking. They don't notice. They don't. If they, they offer you a drink because they're trying to be a good host, but really, if you say no, they, you might have thought about it for half an hour ahead of time how you were going to say no. 
<laughs> Don't give it right. another thought. So, well, and, but, and this, this is why this is Catherine. Go ahead, Megan. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, no, I was just going to say, you know, one of the things, one of the big things with my family was um, we're of that age um, where all the kids are now starting to have kids. So if anyone's not drinking at dinner, it's a big deal because everybody goes into, are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? That whole right. scenario. <laughs> and so I knew people would ask, regardless of what they thought about my drinking. I don't, I don't. I still don't think any of them think I have a problem with alcohol, which is they can think what they want. But um, but it was that I I'm, my husband and I are not having any more kids, and so like that was really awkward. Being like, no, I'm not pregnant. Well, why aren't you drinking that? I don't understand because I think a lot of times people thought I was really trying to hide that I was pregnant, and that I didn't want to tell them or wanted to save it or whatever. They wanted to blow my cover, and so that was turned out to be one of the funny things that you know, looking back on, it's like, why didn't I just, like, go, okay, sure, I'm pregnant. I mean, they would have figured it out in nine months when I didn't have a baby and just, like, let it go. <laughs> and instead of having to be this big, awkward, like, well, no, I'm not, but I can't tell you why I'm not drinking because I'm embarrassed or whatever. <laughs> it's just kind of silly. But, um, but yeah, everybody has their own agenda. And it's not, I mean, even, you know, the whole pregnancy thing, it was never really about me. It was probably about them being excited to be an aunt or an uncle or a grandma or whatever. And, um and I just have to I have to remind myself of that all the time. You know, nobody's really thinking about me that much. I'm I, I know I'm awesome, but not everybody in the world has to think about me every second of the day. So, um <laughs> so that's been an adjustment in sobriety, but I think it's a good one. Kristen, we've had you um just quite as a church mouse there, but I'm hoping <laughs> that you have a story to tell. Now you got sober in January, so you managed to have you have yet to go through your first Christmas or or um, holiday season of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and all of that. So what was your first party that you went to as a guest? Do you remember? Um, I don't know so much if it, it, is, if it was a party, but I remember going out to eat with um, a bunch of friends. They invited us for someone's birthday, and it was, you know, a decent-sized crowd at a pretty busy happening newish restaurant down the street and you know actually about the the holidays you know I had I had been hoping that I could have my first you know sober holiday season that season and you know I was all this is the one this is the season this you know and we had the parties and I just I couldn't didn't wasn't in the right frame of mind and I was really feeling you know guilty about that and I'm failing again and you know I was really like trying to emotionally you know, psych myself up. I think I went maybe like 10 days in in, um, November, like right before Thanksgiving, and I was really sad, you know, and that was part of, you know, the major disappointment to me, you know, crying in my wine and, you know, being hungover or whatever, thinking about, you know, I blew it, you know, the holidays are gone, and now, you know, but in a way, I think it was, you know, all things that I can't change it, um, but, you know, I think it was good that I did have a certain amount of time to just be, you know, everyone was tired from the holidays. It was a very cold, miserable winter, you know, people just sort of hibernated. Um, but back to the the restaurant experience, I, you know, we, we all went out and I could have, you know, was sort of psyching myself up in advance of just what would happen if somebody asked me and the same type of thing, too, because, you know, I've had a couple of comments like, you're not pregnant again, are you? You know, because I've had three in a very short amount of time. Um, so I was just sort of planning, you know, what am I going to say? What am I? 
And, you know, it never really came up, and it hasn't, you know, since really been a big issue. I mean, I, the only thing if there, at the restaurant was I ordered, I don't know why, I just decided I'm going to get, like, some kind of grown-up cocktail, even if it's not, you know, con- doesn't contain alcohol. So I asked for a, a virgin Bloody Mary. I have no idea why I picked that one. I just was in the mood for, you know, something salty and whatever and garnish so that I could fiddle with all the little garnishments while everyone was drinking and the the waiter kind of looked at me like I had three heads and was like what and you know and I had to repeat myself like loudly a virgin bloody mary and then you know then all the heads <laughs> turned you know to look at me and you know it's like here I could have avoided all this by just asked for like you know a club soda or something like that but um but then, you know, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders, you know, everyone looking at me, I was like, ah, New Year's resolution, you know. And I just kind of played it, you know, pretty lightheartedly. And, you know, at that at that outing, you know, sometime early in January, um, they, nobody else, I mean, there was probably eight of us maybe, and no one else ordered more than a second drink. And most everybody just ordered one and left with, like, you know, still, you know, a little swig at the bottom, whereas if I had been still drinking, I would have at least, you know, managed to have three glasses of wine and then would have considered at the end when everyone else had coffee to, like, order something, you know, like an Irish coffee or something that had, you know, alcohol in it and just sort of, you know, on the fly kind of thing. Um, so I, I felt, you know, I kind of felt like it wasn't it wasn't as big of a deal as I had psyched myself up for in the end, and that's kind of been my experience throughout, you know. I mean, I haven't had anybody... You know, what do you mean you're not drinking or what you know like just it's been you know most people are normies you know most people do not bat an eye when you know you don't have a glass of wine in your hand um you know and the few people that i have told who are close to me where they've gotten you know a little bit more of the story because i'm kind of i don't know i have yet to really tell my story like really to anyone in real life close to me um, that I actually am, in fact, an alcoholic. Um, but I'm I'm getting there. You know, I'm feeling like I'm ready. I can say, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I can believe it. Um, and I'm, you know, getting getting geared up to, to share the story in more detail um, with people who are close to me. So I think, in a way, I'm, I'm glad that I have had this time of, you know, relatively low social events and family gatherings and things like that. I mean, I've definitely had a few. There have been birthdays, there have been parties and things like that. But, um, you know, I've found that it's it's never, I mean, I'm the classic warrior. I'm the classic, you know, I've got, you know, anxiety issues and I'm the people pleaser too, like so many other people have, have said about themselves. Um, and so I'm always finding that I worry more about it you know, in, in advance and, and, you know, think more about it in advance than than the actual situation warrants. And, you know, pretty much for me as I just, my main coping tool, my main way of kind of, you know, psyching myself up for, you know, any kind of drinking occasion is just thinking it all the way through, you know, picturing, you know, the old Kristen would go probably a little hungover if it was a weekend party from, you know, the night before, the Friday or Saturday night before. And, you know, just just absolutely, you know, having these conflicting feelings like wanting a drink in my hand immediately and then also praying, you know, hoping that there was some sort of willpower that would suddenly kick in that never kicked in before, you know, that I would be able to just have one or two like everybody else. 
and I was always hoping that, and it just never worked. And it, you know, so I think that if I kind of play the tape in my head of how it will go, you know, and play the tape the one way, you know, just like the sliding doors or whatever that movie was about the, you know, two different paths somebody can take. Yeah. Um, you know, I just play both both scenarios in my head, and you know, the scenario that always works, that always winds up with a, you know, well rested you know, refreshed me the next morning is the scenario where I don't drink. And that's just kind of what I do. I just play the play the scenarios in my head. And, you know, the sober one is definitely the one, the better one, <laughs> and the one that I've been able to take, you know. So. For sure. Kristen, this is Jean. This is you mentioned... Go ahead, Catherine. Well, I I definitely agree with the, the play the tape forward. I mean, that has saved my bacon more times, particularly in the beginning. I also feel like I I decided early on that I didn't have to explain myself to anyone. And I've said this before on the show where I use the phrase, is that true? So if I say, like, well, I have to go to that party, is that true? I have to stay the whole time, is that true? I have to explain myself, is that true? And, you know, no, it's not. But I also try to adopt this persona of just being it's no big thing chicken wing like so I'll give you an example I had about four months sober and I was meeting a new friend who had 11 days and I was going to be her first sober person that she was meeting in real life and we went to this restaurant and we sat down and the guy goes and would you like wine? And I said, no, thank you. And she froze like deer in headlights. And I said, no, thank you. And he said, are you sure you don't want wine? I'm like, no, thank you. And then every time he came back, which was about a half a dozen times, he kept saying, <laughs> now, are you sure you don't want glasses of wine? No, thank you. And I just, and I purposely, especially because I was aware of the fact that she was just kind of getting into this thing and, and had a few days and was maybe looking to me, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing because I only had four <laughs> months. But, you know, I was like, no, just play it cool. No, thank you. No, thank you. And I just remind myself that that's a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't have to explain myself. And, you know, I've, I went to a work situation early on, too, where they, they had menus printed out that at the top of it that had our logo, but then it had my full name. And it said, like, shot party or, you know, something, like, really heavily drinking. And I was, like, totally offended. And then I was just like, well, whatever. I would have been the one whooping it up. And I'm not anymore. So I just said, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. Thanks. And then that was it. And I just – so I try to play cool as a cucumber, which maybe is a little against what I said earlier of not being um, dishonest. But – I feel like if I make it a big deal in my head, then that's when it becomes a big deal. And if and if I don't make it one, then I move through it quicker and a lot more painlessly. I don't know if that makes sense, but this is Jean. Fake it till you make it is a legit strategy. If yeah. you're stuck and you can't don't know what you know, if you're in a situation and you can't escape it then honestly, I have many times thought, okay, well, what would a confident non-drinker do right now? 
and they would say no thank you to the waiter and they would order a diet coke or you know so it it is a legitimate strategy and it's amazing how you know once the words are out of your mouth and and you get that ball in motion the the proper drink is ordered things are on the way then the moment passes but usually it it feels a lot worse as it's coming at you like you said, deer in the headlights. Oh my gosh! Oh my mm-hmm. gosh! He's gonna ask mm-hmm. us! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! He's coming back! He's gonna ask us again. <laughs> but you know, it, it's totally legit to just to fake it, and then you realize, okay, well that's how that works. Now I know what to do for next time. Right. And I I have bemoaned on this show before the agony of the virgin drink. I really think there's got to be a better dang name for a non-alcoholic drink than to call it a virgin. Absolutely. Uh, you know, here I am, 47 mm-hmm. years old and wearing a suit and, and, you know, looking like a million bucks, and I've got to order like a Shirley Temple or a, a virgin, you know, mojito or something. And it just, I think, seriously, can we not come up with something a little bit better than that? Well, this non-alcoholic would work, too. I mean, we say virgin. Yeah. We can just say all have non-alcoholic. Yes, yeah, that's right. Um, the word mocktail is great, a non-alcoholic version of it. Sometimes I just come right out and say to the waitress um, or the server, uh, you know what, I don't drink. Could you ask the bartender to come up with something, you know, good for me? Um, yeah, I do that too. And sometimes that works out. Sometimes it's really kind of awful depending on what kind of mood they're in, but <laughs> it's an option. Amanda, do you remember... The first time, now you were a real party girl. You were life of the party girl. And yeah. <laughs> I suspect you might have quit drinking with some trepidation that you'd never be fun again. Do you remember the first time you had fun sober? Oh, I absolutely will never forget it whatsoever because, um, exactly, I I um, quit drinking in a lot of, I mean, um, my sober first, I think everyone has heard me already for whatever reason i like got sober and i was like hey everybody i don't drink anymore i'm an alcoholic i'm sober get away from me with that stuff i was you actually had a megaphone when you did that yeah if anything i had to like tone it down a little bit but i i did that because i was such a party girl that I was advised, you know, my friend um, who had gotten sober before me had talked about, you know, building walls up around herself. And when she got sober, and I thought about the, what I was going to walk into with being the ringleader and saying, okay, you know, we had a, we would have a weekly meeting on Thursdays, and after that, I was always getting everyone to go out for drinks, and so. I was the ringleader, and I, you know, so I, I really felt that I needed to, and for which is now I know not true, as Catherine said, I felt that I needed to explain myself. I didn't, but um, I, I did need, to, I did feel that I needed to protect myself because I, it would be too easy for me to say, oh, screw it. Um, so I, I, I chose to be very open, and it worked for me. It was just something I was very comfortable with. And but you know, I had a lot of people in my life who were sober and great examples. But my first fun was New Year's Eve. So I got sober in August, at the end of August. So I was just, um, just about four months sober, I think. And um, New Year's Eve, my recovery community threw a sober dance. 
And so I went to this thing, and I was like, oh, my God, this is like junior high school. Because high school, I was drinking at the dances. <laughs> so, um, now that you mentioned it, I think we all were. <laughs> yes. Um, disgusting, awful things but uh, in the bathroom, but I was, I was drinking. Um, but so I was, I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I went to... Um, it was a sober dance. It was in, you know, the basement of a church, and they had a DJ, and there was food, and there was soda, and there was water, and, you know, they, you know, they started playing the music, and I was, and people got right up and danced, and I was like, what the hell? Like, how do you do? That? I and and I've always been one. I I I'm a dancer. I love dancing, whether I'm good at it or not. I don't know or care. I used to think I was really good when I was drinking, and so. I was sitting there like, okay, how do I dance when I'm not sober? And so I just got up and I did it because everyone else was doing it. No one else cared. And I have to tell you, I danced all night long, and it was the best, best feeling in the world. Um, Granted, I was in a very protective environment. I didn't have to worry about anyone offering me a drink. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have a care in the world, but it was just the best feeling. I'm like, this does not suck at all. Like, I had so much fun. I was like, I can dance better. I didn't fall down on the ground once. Um, I didn't do anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just, it was it was just the best feeling. And from there, I mean, from there, things kind of took off for me. I was, and I had, um, actually, I have to say, early recovery I, was very sheltered for me because I didn't have my license. I had to everything that you talk about with sober first. I had to double, triple think everything that I did because I didn't have a way out of anywhere that I went to. Um, so I had to really think about, and you know, that's where you know, I guess maybe it was easier for me to make the choices of, I'm not going to go to that wedding because I didn't have a way of leaving. Um, you know, so I had to think long and hard about the things, the situations that I put myself into because I was at the mercy of other people. Um, so, you know, that was actually a gift for me. It didn't feel that way at the time, um, but it was, you know, it was a gift for me. But, you know, for after that New Year's Eve dance, you know, then it was, you know, then I became the ringleader once again of my sober friends, you know, saying like, oh, you know, what are we doing this week? Or, you know, we go, and, and I have to say, we go bowling. Um, I'll never forget going, like, out with a bunch of so, sober friends to a friendlies on a Friday night. And we were just, I mean, sober people have some of the best stories in the world. And we almost got kicked out of friendlies. And we were stone cold sober but just laughing and having the best time because it's, it's um, I don't know, something about getting sober, it's like, I just don't care what people think of me anymore. I just don't. Mm-hmm. And I used to care so much. I used to put so much into what people thought. And, you know, it was a, a big part of why I drank. And since I got sober, um, I just don't care. Um, and I say that, and of course I do. Um, but for the most, you know, you know, of because we all do a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm as self-conscious as, as the next person. But um, I, I've, I'm actually finally comfortable in my own skin. And it, you know, it's taken awesome. a lot of work in in recovery as well. Though, you know, just work on myself. That's great. But yeah, so we're um, fun is awesome. <laughs> I want to just touch back on something you said because this is a great tip for people in early recovery: is that 
when you are going to something, it's really helpful if you have your own vehicle or you have your own way to leave, that if you are at an event and you feel uncomfortable or you feel overwhelmed, uh, you need to have a way to leave and to tell Mm -hmm. if you're with someone to let them know, if I need to leave, I'm going to leave. You're going to have to take a cab home or you're going to have to come with me, but if I need to leave, I'm out of here. And it, it's very, very helpful just to have your own way out. So, Amanda, you were t- that's, that's what you were talking about in terms of that you were at the mercy of other people for transportation. Um, so you didn't mm-hmm. always have that option. But it is a really important tip for people in early recovery to give yourself permission, as we said earlier, to not go if you shouldn't be there and permission to leave if you start to feel like you need to leave. So we we had a whole list of stuff we were going to talk about, and you know what? This is such a great topic that we're nowhere near even chewing into this list, and we're almost out of time already. Um, So we've talked about things where we've had fun. I want to talk a little bit about some of the harder things that we have to face in recovery, because a lot of us use alcohol to numb some of the bad feelings or to take the edge off some of the hard stuff in life. Has anyone encountered a really difficult emotional time in recovery, uh, a funeral or a heartache or anything really tough that they've had to face? Kristen, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question and asked me. Um, last uh, week ago today, I uh, we said goodbye to our 14-year-old dog. Um, oh. Which, oh. It was... It was very hard because I think yeah. one thing that I didn't realize about losing a pet until I was sort of faced with it um, was that a pet, especially when you're, you know, my age, late 30s, um, he was my first, you know, major responsibility. He represented a huge era in my life. Um, and all of these things kind of, I didn't really understand why, but my drinking life really came back to me when I was going through the tough decision-making process of, you know, he's got, you know, a terminal condition and he's going downhill very quickly and, you know, it's becoming, you know, a major strain, you know, on us as caretakers to care for this ailing dog who, you know, is just definitely going downhill. But at the same time, you know, we loved him. And um, But like I said, I'm not really sure why. I haven't really processed it too much yet. It was only a week ago, but... I really was thinking about, you know, how my drinking, you know, would have it would have made the situation worse, that's for sure. Um, I felt very clear-headed about the fact that I was making the right choice. Um, I felt like I did, I took the steps that I needed to take in order to care for my family and my children and their reactions. And, you know, I, I was able to have it not about me. You know, and if I was still drinking, you know, I would have been crying in my wine. I would have been using it as an excuse, you know, my grief as an excuse to, you know, lay it on even more. And it would have, you know, I would have wound up just kind of navel-gazing when it wasn't really about me. It was about this, you know, friendly old dog who was, you know, part of our family and, you know, represented, like I said, an, an era in my life um, and, you know, has been there for just about every adult milestone that I've had since out of college Um, and I just you know I was able to grieve for him in a really authentic way Um, I was able to plan things kind of well I was able to find a home visit veterinarian who you know came to us 
So instead of us having to bring him to the vet because he's terrified of the vet and I did not want, you know, his last moments to be, you know, in fear. So I just, you know, I don't know. Things just kind of fell into place well and, you know, we were able to grieve. We buried him here in our yard because we got a really big wooded backyard. And, you know, my girls, you know, we sat with him, you know, for a while. And, you know, my, my youngest ones didn't really understand. They just sort of mirrored my older daughter's, you know, emotional, um, you know, kind of reaction. And, you know, we, we cried by his grave. And, you know, it sounds so very terribly sad, and it was sad, but at the same time, you know, I felt like I experienced it in a really, you know, just an authentic way, and, you know, it wasn't about me and my grief, you know, it was about experiencing something together and mourning, you know, the passage of our good old friend, and, you know, I think that it, it, in a way, you know, it, it was a gift to myself as well, because I was able to just have this, you know, really meaningful experience in a, in a sober and present way, and, you know, for that, you know, I'm I'm really, really grateful, and I'm so thankful that my dog was able to, you know, see my children, meet every one of my children, they grew to love him, and then he was able to see me for the past six months, you know, not acting goofy when I drink too much wine around him and, you know, being, you know, authentic around him, and I just feel like things have kind of come full circle and, I don't know. I think, like I said, it's, it's not the same, you know, it's not quite the same as, you know, losing, you know, a human friend or companion or um, family member. But, you know, my first, like, kind of major loss as, you know, a grown adult, I've been pretty lucky to have, you know, people around for a long time. Um, oh, but, that's definitely a difficult, difficult loss. I mean, a yeah. pet is such a, a constant presence just physically, you know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you really, you really notice that loss. Do you think, Kristen, that because you were able to fully feel your emotions and really process the pain without numbing it out, do you think that um, you moved through it perhaps um, faster? And I don't want to diminish your grief in any way, but oh, right. do, do you think it would extend and maybe heal, I don't know, less well if you were drinking and diminishing that pain? Absolutely, because I think that there would have been more guilt attached to it. Because drinking, I was always second-guessing my decisions. You know, can I rely on myself? No, I can't rely on myself. I can't even quit drinking, you know. So any decision that I made, you know, I was constantly questioning it. You know, is this the right thing? Is this, you know, like I should have done this, I should have done that. I'm not thinking clearly. And, you know, making the decision sober, knowing, you know, just in my heart it was the loving and correct and absolutely the right thing to do for him as he was suffering. Um, you know, I I would have, you know, I probably would have still made the same decision. I mean, it had to be made, but I think there would have been some guilt and some second guessing attached to it forever, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that I was able to make the decision sober. And, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's easier to go through um that way than than mm-hmm. not sober for sure. Anybody else have an experience like that that uh that's been really hard since they've been in recovery? Um, um, this, this is, is Megan. Megan. Oh go, go ahead, ahead Megan. Megan. Sorry. Um I guess for me, you know, I have been very blessed in that nothing um 
really major has happened since I got sober, although the catalyst for my final day one was my beloved uncle passing away. Um, my last drink was the day of his funeral. And um, in recovery, a huge thing for me has been having to relive all the losses from the past however many years when I was drinking because I never dealt with any of them in a healthy way. Um, I, When you were telling your story, Kristen, my, my dog actually passed away um, a couple months before I got sober, and and I handled it horribly. I mean, I remember, you know, my husband going to take the dog to the hospital where it was going to happen late at night because we had to make that decision. And, you know, he came back with a bunch of liquor, and I drank myself to sleep, you know. And and the next day, you know, I had to wake up not only, of course, being sad, but with the effects of the alcohol as well. And like you said, second-guessing and all of those things. Um, but also just, you know, uh, deaths of friends um, that I've kind of had to, you know, even go to therapy and speak with a counselor because the grief is all coming back and I wasn't quite sure how to handle it because I never had. Um, and then the only other thing that kind of I thought of with this is, you know, for me, though there hasn't been a major um, loss of life or anything in my world, um, I really had to mourn, um, I guess, the death of some of my relationships with friends and with other people in my life. Um, and not necessarily that there's not a relationship there anymore, but that it had to change. And that was really hard because I knew a lot of these relationships were unhealthy because of the way I had acted. And so to now be in a healthy place and have to set up boundaries, that was really hard. And and honestly, it had a lot of guilt in the beginning. I felt guilty because I felt like I had created these scenarios and now all of a sudden I was not a part of, you know, saying I'm I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. And, um, And for me, that was kind of a death of, you know, these relationships, especially with friends, because like I said, I surrounded myself with people who drank like I did, and when I got sober, I just couldn't be around that in the same way anymore. Um, And not to say that people aren't still in my life, but certainly not in the way they were before. And so that has been a really hard thing to deal with and to come to terms with and then be okay with, say, you know, it's okay. You know, we're all going to be okay. Um, It's not going to be the same, but it'll be okay. And that's, you know, something that my anxiety-ridden brain could not, you know, handle before, but now I can, um, at least most of the time, think that way. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, that's a good point. We do sometimes have to grieve some of those relationships that are changed forever and know that our life is depends on it, really. We, we, we can't um, give up our sobriety to hang on to a friendship that might have run its course or not be healthy for us, but that's a really great point. Amanda, and what Jean, were you going but, to say? Oh, go ahead, Catherine. Well, I'm sorry, Jean. I was just going to mention that um, it might be worth noting here for folks who may not have seen this episode that back in when did we do the grief and sobriety episode? That was in December. November. Yeah, so that's something worth looking for, um, you know, for anybody who is going through something, some kind of emotional loss, whether – you know, it's it's the loss of a family men- member, a fuzzy one or other or human one. Or it's all painful, um, a divorce or anything like that. Um, we we had some good tips from the people in that episode, so just thought I'd mention it. Yeah, thank you, Catherine. Amanda, were you going to uh, tell us a story? 
Yeah, and actually, I mean, that episode, I, I talked about a lot of it. I was just, I, I was going to mention um, kind of what um, Megan was saying is I, I lost my mom um, when I was drinking, and I didn't deal with that at all. Um, I drank, I actually drank my way through it because it was also she died from cancer, and so it was a, it was um, a slow, painful end, um, and it was just really, really difficult. And and um, I can say that drinking, I, I, you know, I really wish I had been sober for that. I I think I did a decent job because I, you know, I managed to not, you know, drink during the day, but I would drink myself to sleep every night. So. I think I was actually present for her, so I don't really have regrets for that, but I also was destroying myself at night, and it was kind of the beginning of my end. Um, but I also didn't deal with it. It was probably six months before I cried, and um, like really cried, and really it, before it really even hit me what, ha- what happened, because I had just numbed through the whole process. Um, but then... Um, and when I was about two years sober, I had within ten days my my ex husband, who was only fifty, um, died, and then um, my grandfather died ten days later. Um, and so I dealt with both of those back to back. And you know, it was um, it was really both were really difficult. I mean, my grandfather he was older, he had a long life. Um, it was, you know, it was still difficult to lose. You know, he was, you know, the last grandparent in my family, um, and just, it, you know, it was hard to lose him. But, um, it, and, but then losing my ex-husband, that was devastating. Um, you know, for him, he got sick um, with cancer again, and it was a six month. Um, it was six months from him getting sick to him dying, basically, and. That was really hard, and and going back and and um, going to the services and you know being with my ex family, you know I was no longer married to him. Um, but I have to say, being sober and getting through that, I was present. I was there. I went. I you know I have to wonder if I had still been drinking, if I would have shown, if I would have gone, what you know how I would have reacted. Mm-hmm. I don't you know if I would have just said, well, it's not my place. I like used it as an excuse not to go, or if I would have gone and you know drank, you know gone and drank a ton with the family because you know we did used to drink together and you know I don't know. I just I just know that I I went. Um, I was there for my 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 stepson and my family, and um, I was present, and I got through it. And I have like I have like special thoughts about you know about him, and you know I I deal with it, and I think in a very healthy way. Like I I think fondly of him at times. You know I have I have moments where I feel like he's. He's there, and I do with my mom as well. But it's just, it's just, it's different. I felt like I dealt with it, um, and even though it's, you know, I, you know, 50 years old is like, it's horrifying to me. You know, it's something that we shouldn't have to deal with. He was too young, and he was a good guy, and I don't know. There's just, um, there's a lot to be said about getting through it, and that, and you know, you think about it. Um, he didn't tell me that he was sick at first because he was afraid that I would relapse because I had told him that I had gotten sober, and he was very proud of me. Um, so, I mean, I guess, you know, my thing is you can just you just get through it. It's hard. 
Um, and I know that's a lot of times where people just want to bury their emotions, but feeling your emotions and getting through your emotions is actually a beautiful thing. We, um, I think doing it for the first time is really hard, and um, and I had to do it for the first time kind of back-to-back, So it, um, but there's so much to be said about feeling your emotions and getting through them. It's just we we don't, I don't, think that you know we all think that we're coping with things by drinking you know when we were drinking i think we all thought we were coping with whatever it was whether it was a loss of a family member or a um, loss of a job whatever it is but we're just delaying it and we're not dealing we're actually we're not coping at all and um feeling your feelings is they, it's it's um it doesn't it doesn't always feel great but it's it's so much better than the alternative. So I hope that That's makes so sense. true. Actually, I think that that is so poignant and important that I'm going to leave us on that note for tonight. We've gone past our hour and uh, haven't um, touched on some of the things we were going to talk about, including. Um, you know, being close with our partner in recovery and and being close to ourselves in recovery, Um, just being able to just sit quietly with ourselves and enjoy time alone. So we may have to go and uh, and do a second episode of Sober First. Sober First, the second episode. I'm not sure if that will ring quite true. (laughs) Part two. (laughs) So I want to thank everyone so much for being part of this, discussion tonight it was really great i think we we covered a lot of of important material and really really uncovered that um that there's a lot of of um keys that carry us through key behaviors and key awarenesses that that carry us through the first whether it's in the first week of recovery or where i'm at now three years into my recovery and still coming up against first experiences at times. I think we, we definitely can draw on some of the tools that we heard about tonight. Um, Megan of crazypancakes.com, thank you for being on the Bubble Hour tonight and for sharing your story with us. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks, it's Megan. Crazy and bananas. Cra- crazy, I wrote crazy pancakes. Oh, I'm crazy sorry. Bananas. I hear it. Hey, crazy, crazybananas.com. And Kristen, who blogs at Telling the Words, dot wordpress.com. Kristen, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was really great. Well we really appreciate you both. And as always, Amanda and Catherine, uh great to talk with you and thank you so much for sharing your insights and your wisdom and your personal stories with us. And as we close out the show tonight, as we always do, we want to say thank you to all the listeners. All the friends of the Bubble Hour who graciously agree to come on the show and tell their stories, who tell other people about our um, episodes, and uh, and thank you so much for listening. You, of course, can find us at thebubblehour.com. You can find us on iTunes where you can subscribe to our podcast, or you can find a link right on our website to subscribe. We also ask you to pop by the website shiningstrong.org, which is our parent organization, and you can learn all about uh, some of the initiatives that we are involved in from there. So from everyone at the Bubble Hour, we thank you for listening and hope you have a great week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks, ladies. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.